Welcome to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts, guests, and callers. Now the host of Let's Talk Adoption, Marty Caldwell. Welcome to Let's Talk Adoption. I'm Marty Caldwell. I'm looking forward to spending time with you today. Each week, our show brings to you adoption professionals, authors, birth parents, and adoptive parents, and just people that have been touched by adoption. If you'd like a copy of our shows, please email us at info at Let's Talk Adoption or visit letstalkadoption.com. Archive shows are available on our site as well as CDs for purchase. Let's get on today's show. Today we are here to welcome Kim Felter. Kim works with um, Wendy's Wonderful Kids as a family recruiter, and this is being launched by the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. She's also an adoptive mother and a birth mother and has an experience um, of a lifetime uh, in her background that we're going to share today with you, our listeners. Today we'll be talking about tips and pointers for foster adoption, the process and resources for foster parents, and what she's learned through her personal and professional experiences. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's really wonderful to have you here, and you've got a great bio. You know, let's go ahead and share a little bit about how you got involved with foster parenting and adoption, because it's really interesting. Well, let's see. I guess it started way back. I always laugh and said, you know, I've been in adoption since I was just a baby almost 27 years ago, but I guess I'm older than that, so it can't go that way. Um, I was a birth mother who placed a child for adoption back in 1977 in a mm-hmm. closed adoption. That was the only option available to me. Mm-hmm. Um, then went back to college, uh, finished my education, met married my husband, and had um, a child with my husband um, with some infertility pieces connected to it. Mm-hmm. Um, then decided that we wanted to expand our family, and my husband was always very open to adoption, but I always said this was the last field I wanted to be in at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually was in the field of business, and so um, came back as an adoptive parent, and at that time realized this was uh, the late 80s, early 90s, and there were some changes being made, but there wasn't a whole lot of respect for a lot of the members of the triad, Mm -hmm. and um, started doing some advocacy work, um, adopted our first child or son through adoption Mm -hmm. when he was three and a half years old in um, 1990 Mm -hmm. from L.A. County DCFS, Mm -hmm. the foster care system. Um, then ended, um, adopted our second son when he was a newborn through a voluntary relinquishment that was an open adoption, and his birth mother lived with us when she was pregnant, which was really unusual. Wow, open adoption. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And um, then um, adopted my daughter in 93, mm-hmm. um, who was also um, kind of one of those She straddled both programs a little bit, meaning she was removed from her mother and then her mother chose to voluntarily sign her away, rights away, if we were the family that was identified because she knew we would also continue contact for her. Right. Really important key. We'll talk about that further later. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then my other daughter, Jenna, came from Orange County Social Services at the age of two and has a real extensive, difficult background. She's now, my kid, she's um, 12 and a half, Maggie's 11. Mm-hmm. Robert is 14. Joe just turned 18 and is leaving for the military in June. Wow, that's great. Yes, he, I'm real proud of him. Uh-huh. And then um, we thought we were done and met a wonderful 10-and-a-half-year-old that Maggie said needed to be her sister, and she's oh. been with us for two-and-a-half years. That's so great. we've done older kids, and her uh-huh. Claudia is doing very well. And she's So I have all these kids in puberty. It's not pretty. <laughs> and so I'm counting here. You've got eight kids? That, you're up to seven. My eighth one came last July. Hmm. I was working with a 16-year-old who kept 
telling me she wanted a family desperately. Mm-hmm. And as you and I both know, there's not a lot of options. Right. Um, she was heading towards her 17th birthday, mm-hmm. and my husband said, oh, come on, let's just do it. So she's mm-hmm. been with us for about 10 months, and that's number eight. And that's number eight. So that was, And that was an older child also then? 17 years old. Wow, that's wonderful. And we were going to talk about older, parent, you know, older children and adoption, which I have a big heart for Me because uh, they really, really need everything we can give, and we have so much to share with them, so we're going to share with that today. Two, um, you're a birth mother and an adopted mom. How did that affect your adoption? I mean, you're, here you're both. You're a little bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think um, a couple things. Is one is I've never been secretive about my birth parent experience, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's what you know. My family's always known about my husband um, out there in the world as well, mm-hmm. um, and I think in some ways that that helps us have incredible empathy for our birth parents, even our birth parents who haven't done a very good job parenting. Right, you know, who have maybe abused or neglected their children, but usually, you know, there's that empathy that you can have because you know that they were usually a victim themselves. That's right. Now, if you go back further, and you know that really takes a lot, but once you do that and start forgiving and understanding, um, you know what, you're, you have so much more freedom in life. Um, if you really see these people, a lot of times have come from very difficult um, places, and um, and it's really wonderful. These kids can go into great homes too. Absolutely, and also, too, then it also um, gives your, because if you feel, if you can see the positive piece of the children's birth parents, the children can feel positive about that, too. Do you know what I'm saying? They know their parents inside and out. They know what happened there. Mm -hmm. Especially older children. And, you know, I think the key there is the positive part, because, you know, we're so used to, and I'm guilty of that, too, of looking at the negative part, Mm -hmm. and to go in and say, you know, there are some positive things about this birth parent. And and really bring that out, too, and always keep that in mind when you're talking to your children, but you're right. Well, absolutely, because it's a part of who they are, mm-hmm. and they really do take that reflection very personally. Right. You know, they want to know um, that there is those good pieces in their parents. I mean, I always love my daughter, Maggie, who, who has had an open adoption since she was, you know, a newborn, and she's 11 and a half years old, and... Um, she we one time she asked to speak to a parenting group I had to speak to and you know ex- parents coming into the program and I said okay you can come with me and she's sitting on the floor and um, the parents said to her well Maggie when you see Amy does it make you sad that you don't live with her and she looked at them and looked at me and she's like I know <laughs> yeah we see things as adults isn't that interesting because it's really true and when you have an open adoption you don't it's not um, it's not a mystery anymore. No, and she was, and then the next line just killed me because she said to them, "I, Amy's really pretty and she's lots of fun and I really love her a lot, but she has a hard time taking care of herself. How could she take care of me?" Why? Wow, power! And it, you know that is amazing because sometimes we don't give kids enough credit to seeing the whole complete picture, and they do. Mm-hmm, they do, and you know more and more. I, I just met with two little foster girls that were adopted, um, and they know that, and so bright, and so appreciative of everything in life, Absolutely. and really have seen things beyond their years, and um, are wonderful. And what they want to do is go back and to help other kids like themselves. Absolutely, um, great. Let's talk about the Dave Thomas Foundation and what you're doing with this Wendy's Wonderful Kids. Share a little bit about this program because I, um, it's really interesting and, and why the program was created and that type of thing. Okay, well, basically what it is is I actually work for Kinship Center, which is mm-hmm. a statewide licensed nonprofit agency here in California, mm-hmm. and I've been with them for six and a half years. And 
part of my job with them had always been what we call child-specific recruitment, Mm -hmm. which means I always say to people, I become the PR person for children, Mm -hmm. um, specific kids. And um, I'd done some small pieces of that with many other counties. Well, Wendy's came up with this really great idea that basically what they would do is fund a recruiter in a private sector agency. So I'm still a Kinship Center employee, but I am funded and identified with Wendy's Wonderful Kids. And my sole purpose is to work with Los Angeles County, which is the largest county in the country. Huge amount of kids in that program. Exactly. And my job is to work with them specifically, one, to identify barriers to these kids getting adopted, and two is to I am assigned anywhere between 15 and 20 children I have on my caseload, per se, Mm -hmm. at any given time. And my role is to get out there to the community, you know, look for families in my own agency, go to all the other local community agencies, tell them about these great kids, know the kids personally. Because, you know, if I told you that I have a couple 11- and 14-year-old boys, Mm -hmm. that means there's nothing right there. Yeah, people have (laughs) images already. Yes, exactly. But if I said to them, let me tell you about Ricky. He is just so adorable. He's 12 years old, and he loves basketball, and he does pretty well in school, but, you know, he needs a little prodding with his homework. And, and if I made him real to you, mm-hmm. and if I showed you a video, and I showed you a picture, a really good photography quality, photographer quality picture. You can see what he looks like. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And people identify. They say, mm-hmm. he looks like my brother. Um, mm-hmm. He reminds me of myself. Mm-hmm. They make a connection to this child, and that is how we place older children. Because otherwise they're just numbers. Exactly. And it's really sad because these kids have wonderful hearts and souls, and I know I've worked with older kids and being placed, and they've been some great adoptions. So you can work now. I, I know Kim earlier had mentioned to me, um, my, my Kim, the producer, had mentioned to me earlier that um, you place nationwide. So not only in California, you can work with families out of the county, as long as they have an approved and stu- you know they are approved and studied mm-hmm. by study. a local county or agency. Mm-hmm. Now, can they have a private? Can you work through private um, adoption? If someone came and they had an attorney, they're trying to adopt, and they have a private home study done by a private agency. As long as their home study was done by a private agency, mm-hmm. it would be definitely something. And that's my job is to help eliminate those barriers. So if I have a family that still you know, was working with an attorney, but they heard about my 14-year-old boy. Right. Let's face it, I don't have a whole lot of options for mm-hmm. a 14-year-old boy. As long as they're paper ready and it's a, a bona fide um, a home study and they're willing to do the steps to, to move forward and create that adoption to happen. That, that would be absolutely it, and it's my job to help work with that and present them to the county as a viable option for this child. That's great, and we're going to share your contact information just a little bit, too, with our listeners so they'll have that information. This program, you know, let's talk about um, this program is a lot different than other foster adoption programs because you're really, you're, you have the time to take these, this few, this few, these few children at a time and work with them instead of the big caseloads these poor social workers have. Absolutely. And, and let's talk about how many kids are in, in foster care in L.A. County alone. In L.A. County alone, at any given time, there are between 60 and 70,000 children. That's amazing. That is bigger than some communities of some of our listeners listening. Absolutely. 60 to 70,000 kids waiting in foster care. In foster care. But of those, 
at any given time, at least 800 children are available for adoption in L.A. County. Mm-hmm. And some are waiting then for reunification with their parents. Exactly, or maybe some are living in a relative guardianship situation, mm-hmm. but their legal status is foster care. Yes, so right. So even though those numbers are huge, there is a percentage of those that will never, you know, will stay stagnant in that right. area, and it's not a bad thing. And that makes me feel better, too, but you're taking at least a segment. You know, it reminds me of the, the story about the little, the little starfish on the, the ocean around the beach, you know, and the gal throwing those out into the ocean. And, you know, he, the man comes by and says, you know, what difference? Look at all these. And it's like, will it make a difference to this one and this one? <laughs> and it's like you're taking these few children and really making a difference in their lives. Well, and that's the piece. It's, it's very funny that you bring that up because people ask me all the time how I can do my job and how I could be in the field for so long that it's got to be hard and frustrating. And I say that story all the time. That's how I'm able to do it because I made a difference to this one and that one. Mm-hmm. As well as sometimes it opens, I always say, you know, you might hear about Ricky, you know, as an example mm-hmm. we talked about just a few minutes ago. And that you may not be the right parent for him, but maybe it's opened your mind to another child who's 10 or another, when you didn't even think about that before. Yes, I see that all the time. Mm-hmm. So it really is one of those situations that. It, it opens their minds. It makes them realize that there are some really great kids there, and there's some real pluses to an older child, not just the negatives. And I think, too, what happens is we have to learn to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is you really need to, um, I tell people they have to have a lot of faith. You've got to really, for our families that have that true faith, is really take the time to pray about this. And is this is really what we want to do, and we're, you know, is this a child for me? And don't be afraid to look at it. You know, um, some parents are, you know, I want a newborn only. I don't want a two-month-old. I want a girl only. I want blonde hair, blue eyes. And that's all I look at. And they may miss the child that is destined for their life. And um, it's amazing. And some of these children, I just tell you, uh, we've, we've looked personally at some older children to adopt, um, but always found families um, for them. But um, when you get to know them personally and they come real and you see them smile and you see them giggle and you hear them laugh and how articulate they are, and um, it's it's amazing because you can see them fitting into your family many many times if you think outside the box. Absolutely, just mm-hmm. so much. And and you're there is that piece. See, too often people don't they think it's going to be easier with a very young child. Mm-hmm. And, and there is pieces that are easier, but there are pieces that are more difficult. Yeah. I say to families, you know, a lot of our children are drug exposed, mm-hmm. and when you place an infant who's drug exposed. I can't tell you how that's going to affect that child. Mm-hmm. I can give you some statistical information. Mm-hmm. I can give you some parameters, but I really don't know. Mm-hmm. But when I have a child that's five, six, eight, I can tell, we can do testing, developmental testing. Mm-hmm. You can talk to them, interact with them. You can see it. You can make a much better fit to some degree. Right. You can't. And you know what I found too is that some of my older children that are placed, um, the, the recently um, some children that came in that really, really thin children and very not very happy, weren't speaking at all. Once they're loved and nurtured under, under a home that's a caring, loving, and safe environment, they know they're going to be there forever. And they feel that love. They blossom. I mean, they, they, they gain a reasonable amount of weight where they look healthy. Oh. They get interest. Um, they start chatting like you wouldn't believe because now they, they're, they're in a safe environment. And they blossom. They're like a flowering plant that has now had some nurturing and some water and some pruning, and they're ready to go. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I loved my, my daughter, Claudia, who came to us at 10 and a half, who, who, you know, as you know, it takes a while by the time you finalize the adoption and you get the court date. <laughs> right. You know, 
know, and she was so cute. She got her birth certificate. She had multiple placements before us and mm-hmm. had a pretty difficult history. And, and I always tell families, very much a therapist is a part of your life. I mean, right. I, I always say she's on speed dial at my house. <laughs> yes. um, but coming and watching them grow so much from where they were originally, and she gets her birth certificate in the mail and calls me at work. Mom, Mom, I got my birth certificate. I said, oh, that's mm-hmm. great. And she says to me, and I thought, oh, my gosh, just made me cry. No one ever knows I had any other parents before you and Dad. Mm-hmm. Oh. And for her, that that's that was really, that yeah. belonging piece was mm-hmm. so important to her. And I think it's really important, and I even heard um, one of our children say one time, um, going to a new, new uh, you know, a new youth group or a new uh, organization or a, a camp, um, Mom, don't mention anything about my adoption. You know, they didn't want they didn't want to stand out at that particular time with that new group. And so, because people find out what do you do for a living, and they immediately look at all four of our kids, and they look and they ask the stupidest questions in front of them. I'm sure you get the same thing. Well, especially too, because I didn't mention to you that my children are all different races. Yeah. Okay. So you get right. So I always get, you know, I, I've even been in stores and people have said to my kids, you know, well, where's your mom? Yeah. <laughs> you like, look at them right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> it really builds character and strengthen them. They'll probably be all CEOs and be able to handle anything in life because they've had been trained to do it. Oh, they're very funny. Actually, yeah. they, they have a really good sense of humor about it. And the reality, too, is they're very comfortable. I said, there mm-hmm. is how you do break the racial barriers and the racial right. issues. Right. Because my kids will talk to anybody, and they're comfortable with anybody, and they really do look at people as, you know, are you be- behaving as a good person or aren't you? Not mm-hmm. not what you look like, are you a good person? Right, right. They're yeah. looking inside, and I think that's really key, too. How is your program funded? I mean, how are you funded? You're, you get this you get this grant, um, and does it cost anything for families um, to adopt other than their, their home study? Actually, even the home study. Well, I can speak for California mm-hmm. because, you know, know that if a family were to adopt outside of the state, there are some perimeters and there might be some expenses involved, but they would be very minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it was a family who was here in the state of California, mm-hmm. the agency would do their home study basically mm-hmm. for free because there is um, reimbursement from the state to mm-hmm. the private agency for that home study. That's great. Um, at most, I mean, if they're going through a private agency, I can speak such as myself and I know others, you know, you may have to pay for your fingerprint fees or your CPR and first They're aid. very little, like a dinner exactly. out. I mean, yeah. You're nothing. talking a couple hundred dollars per person, you know, um, at most. And then um, you want to go to a good private agency. I always tell families you want to look at someone who's not only going to do your home study, but help support you during that very difficult time between placement and finalization. Right. While that child's right. assimilating into the home, mm-hmm. so that they can support you with either support groups or referrals to mental health right. services, um, that they can be out there um, to help negotiate. Um, what's going on in the household. So everybody's, you know, because it's just like, I would say a new child in the home is like dropping a pebble in the water. Right, right. The water's really calm and you drop that pebble and it all waves for a while. You know, it's very true. And I think what happens too is that, you know, more and more we're seeing um, attorneys and agencies working together with with qualified, and I say qualified, adoption facilitators. And what happens is because they can go out there, but you still need to have the support group and the social workers and the ASPs, and you need someone that can actually... um, help out in this situation and professionals. There's a lot of great psychologists out there uh, available. And is there an AAP available, the uh, Adoption yes. Assistance Program for the kids? And I, that, you know, we can never say in California 100%, but 99.9% of sure. the children do qualify not only for – usually what happens is when they're first placed, their legal status is foster because 
we can offer more um, services to the mm-hmm. family during that transition period. Mm-hmm. Is considered FAWS adopt-in. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and some of our kids are, especially because some of the kids I'm working with are quite a bit older, mm-hmm. and if they are going out of state, that again, that is a little different, but it's not insurmountable, mm-hmm. and there's definitely resources to help, but it might just be we might go directly to AP depending on how that state issue is. Right. Um, but in California, all the kids do go under a foster care placement with a projection of adoption. They do get the monthly foster care stipends. And then during that time, we start to assess the needs of the child. You know, how's the therapy going? Do they need it weekly or monthly? Is it paid for through their Medi-Cal, or do we need to access private funding? Mm-hmm. So then we can help the families negotiate for the proper AAP funding mm-hmm. to provide the services for this child you know, after the adoption. Liz, I I can hear my my listeners saying, for people that are new to adoption, what is AAP? Let's explain what AAP is. Um, AAP is the Adoption Assistance Program in California. And what it says is basically it is there to help serve the child's needs. It is not um, negotiated on the um, income of the parents. It is basically all driven by child needs. And, of course, that is when the private agency or the county agency helps determine what those needs are. If you have a child that maybe needs a little speech therapy, it's going to be a whole lot different or a lot less, you know, AAP funding. Mm -hmm. Then you're talking about a child that maybe has a diagnosis of, you know, reactive attachment disorder or um, um oppositional defiant, you know, any of those diagnoses, of course, they're going to need more help, more services, and the AAP is then um, raised or increased to serve those services for that specific child. And that's until the child's 18, right? It is in place till the child is 18. And in special cases, it can go past that if the child does have some, some severe um, learning disabilities or um, living um, limitations, right? Absolutely. Okay. I actually, my one daughter, Jenna, who is from Orange County Social Services, mm-hmm. um, was in our home, you know, full-time until last year, and because of mental illness and fetal alcohol and a lot of things that we knew about that there was I always said we always knew that there was the potential of out of home placement mm-hmm. um, but we always hoped for the best and did our best not to let that happen but puberty was very difficult for her and for the rest of the family and she needed more structure she needed a more specialized educational program mm-hmm. and I was able to work with my AAP worker who is the worker in each county that the child was detained in mm-hmm and was able to negotiate to get her those services. And, you know, our hope is that she can transition in back home and into a standard living situation. But if not, she does have those services that then could go past 18 and be funded through other programs. And she still always has a mom and a dad and brothers yeah. and sisters who visit her, and she mm-hmm. comes home on weekends, and she has holidays. And it's much better than not having a connection to anyone. You know, and we're so blessed in the United States, the programs we have. There's so many countries and the orphanages we see internationally they don't have anything oh, yeah. like this for kids, you know. Let's go over to, I don't want to scare our listeners, you know. No, absolutely because, not. Because this is, this is <laughs> we can have this. I have friends that have bio child, children with very severe disabilities. And absolutely. And so this is not something I want people to think, oh, I'm a perfect child, it's not getting a puppy. But let's talk about how, how common are these issues, too. Well, I know, always say that, again, the good news about an older child, I mean, Jenna came to us at age of two, and so most people would say, oh, well, you know, she shouldn't have had. A lot of her stuff was prenatal issues, and um, she had some severe brain damage, and we just fell in love with her, and that was our commitment. I always, 
you know, it couldn't have been my first adoption. That is the reality is we disclose extensive amounts of information on these kids. We gather absolutely everything possible. And that's much better than it was 20 years ago. Absolutely. They, they, they hit things like better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, again, um, you know, and, and when you talk about international adoptions, you know, the other country, they're not as sophisticated in gathering this information, nor do they feel a commitment to um, disclosing it all the time. I'm not saying in every case, but not as well, I've seen that. I've seen, I've seen that happen, too, where they, um, yeah, you don't get all the information. And those children need homes, too, and I just feel like, you know, there's, there's places for everyone, but we've got so many children here in the U.S. that we need to find homes for. Well, and, and that's absolutely true. And, and I always say, here I've adopted um, six children, and out of six, I only have one that has had really significant issues, and I was very, my husband and I were very aware of that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we knew that we could help her, and we knew that we could be there for her, even if she wasn't in our home. Not every family's equipped to do that. Yeah. Um, but we felt that we could. But, and, you know, in reality, I have to say, my two adoptions um, that were at the age of um, 10 and a half and 16 and a half have been pretty easy, smooth sailing. And those are the ones people would think, oh, my gosh, that would be so difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, they they know all about their past family, and they bring all that history, and it's like, yeah, but they so appreciate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, my therapist even says about um, my 17-year-old, she goes, she's such a joy to work with because she gets why we're doing this work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she, she wants to. They, she knows it's like not to have that. Yes, exactly. She, she knows she wants to, because she'll even say, I want to do the therapy and the work in therapy so I don't hurt my kids someday, mm-hmm. like my mom did. Right. And I think I think there are children that don't want to be adopted, but very few of them. Mm-hmm. Most really want it deep down. A lot of them have this, I think, an overlying um, um, this, this fear in front of them, and they're afraid if they do ask what they want, they'll be rejected again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I see that you break that shell, and they know that you're going to be there. And that really means the parents have to start with a really good marriage or a single parent has to have tremendous support, and they've got to have their head screwed on right, parents do. Absolutely. And none of us are perfect, but we can learn. Oh, you know, that's the whole piece of it is, you know, you have to step out of your own way. Because people say that to me all the time. How do, how do you guys do it, or what does a family have to have to be successful at this? And I said, you have to be willing to love them and let their successes be their successes and their failures be their failures. And you offer them all the chances to help do the best at that, but it's not yours. Jesus, yes, right. You can't take it personal. Mm-hmm. No, you can't at all. Tell us about some success stories you've seen also. Share with some of the success stories you've seen as far as um, since you've been working there. Actually, I mean, you know, I, I always say that's the wonderful thing about working at Kinship Center. We are an agency, and that's why I'm sure Wendy's picked us for this grant in California, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is their largest one in the country, um, was because we really are an agency that really um, – advocates for, you know, we do infant placement, but we do a lot more with the older kids and the kids from the system and sibling groups and and all those kinds of things. But I see big successes all the time. Um, We had one boy who um, I had worked with previously, and he had called us at the agency from a a group home and said, my work at the group home says that you find families for kids, and I really want a family. I don't want to age out of this group home. I don't mm-hmm. want this to be the only place I've ever lived. Mm-hmm. And he was 13, and he was biracial, and I said, well, you got to be patient, and we're going to work hard on this. I mean, he did everything I asked of him. He went on TV. He went on the newspaper. Wow. He went on the radio. <laughs> he even did a rap song. <laughs> wow, he did everything. How did that turn out? Actually, he ended up getting this great family, and this is one of those funny things. He was on the local cable channel. 
mm-hmm. and his new mom mm-hmm. was homesick that day. And she and her husband had a daughter who was, I think at the time, a year younger than him. So she was probably about 12, and that was their only child. And they really were thinking about adoption. And, and she said, you know, we were really thinking it would be great to adopt a little three- or four-year-old boy. And here comes this boy on the TV, and he's 13 years old. And I'm watching it saying, that's my son. That's him. Wow. That's him. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it was him, and he did well, and they helped him through school, which he had really struggled with. And he had had some depression issues, very well earned. Yes, I would say so. <laughs> and it's amazing, like you say, after being in the home and after settling in through that transition period, how these kids are able then to sort of let that depression, you know, slide off of them and, and start to transition away from any medication. Mm-hmm. And because, again, they feel safe and they feel that mm-hmm. they have a future. I mean, how depressing is it to think that you're going to age out of a group home and when you turn 18 they're going to say, I have a good life. And yeah, they have no skills and no one to call home. It's very, very sad. What happens to these kids when, you know, um, they're, they're not emancipated and they're emancipated early sometimes? Um, and they're they're left to fend for themselves. What happens to them? Well, that's the very sad piece of many of the children who do emancipate. If they do not have a connection to someone, mm-hmm. whether it be a foster parent or a teacher or a um, a group home staff member that mm-hmm. you know they were able to sort of connect to emotionally, mm-hmm. the statistical statistics say that they will become our homeless population and our prison population. Yeah. And and in reality, they usually become the parents of the next wave of children in the foster care system. And yeah. I don't care how old, and that's what I tell families all the time, even if the child is older, if I get them a family, statistically that drops almost by 60% that they'll be one of those people. Mm-hmm. Because 60%, then they that's have huge. someone. Mm-hmm. They have somebody exactly call home. I can't imagine if we were to take, if we, we can go to, into their shoes and say, you know, most of us listening have family members and friends. If we had nobody to turn to that was there for the holidays, for tough times, to call home to check in, what, how our life would look differently, um, how we would feel about things, and I think most of us would be very depressed. Absolutely. And then the other thing, too, because I don't know if any of your children are older, but mm-hmm. my son I placed for adoption is now 28 years old, and my other son is 24. And, you know, I'm looking at it now thinking, you are adult, going to be adults in my life a whole lot longer than you were children. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we, we think even of ourselves, I mean, my mother's 80 years old now, and I've been an adult in her life a lot longer than I was a child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that relationship has actually been a much better relationship. <laughs> yes, and you know, and adoption can adoption is um, just having children. Period is wonderful, and I meet people all the time that find out what I do, and I have family members that have decided not to have children. I think, oh, how sad, and even my kids say, oh, aren't we a pain sometimes? And I said, you know what? I don't see that. I, what I see is the joy and the family, and that's so important. And these, this is all these kids want too. And I think people need to um, to learn. I really believe in education, and that's why we have the program, that people need to learn even just about parenting skills prior to bringing a child into the home because you're not going to have time when when your child's having an issue to go find the parenting book and flip to that part in the section <laughs> of the book and read what to do. Absolutely. I have families all the time. I mean, when I first, the family first contacts, you know, my agency specifically, and I know most of the other private agencies have about the same standard and also the public agencies, and I say to them, you know, they're so excited and they want to adopt, and I, I always say to them, I'm really excited you come forward, but it's going to take about six months minimum mm-hmm. before we're ready to look at a child for you. Not a knee-jerk situation. Yeah. You know, and, and they sigh and they think it's so overwhelming, and I say, but I'm going to make you take 30 hours of parenting classes. 
Mm-hmm. But I've already been a parent. Mm-hmm. I know, but this is even more. <laughs> yeah. And then I always love, because I've gotten many calls over the years where, or I've run into my parents after they've had placement of children, and they'll say to me, oh, I sat in those classes and I thought, they don't know what they're talking about, and then you live with them. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, it's so interesting because I have families that come to us and they've adopted, um, they're doing now an independent adoption after doing going through 30 or hours or more of parenting, and it looks great on their resumes. Oh, absolutely. The birth moms, because if they're picking between five families and this one's got all this parenting experience, even if they've been a parent before, she'll select the one that's had all that experience. So it all comes out, um, you know, really in a positive uh, manner for that, too. Well, and, and that's the piece I say, you know, it it no matter which kind of adoption you choose to do, it shows a commitment to the process. Right, right. And, you know, and, and then that other piece, too, if we were pregnant, you know, we'd be doing that whole nine months, and we'd go to all the Lamaze classes, and we'd mm-hmm. go to our doctor's appointments, and we'd right. do all that. There is a big piece here. It's just hard because I, I do have so much empathy for parents because oftentimes they're coming off the, the infertility roller coaster, and, and that's been very emotional. And exactly, and it's really hard, too. You know, I'm, we're going to take a quick break here. But before we go, I'd like you to give your website out and where people can contact you about your program again um, and, and what um, the Dave Thomas Foundation is doing with Wendy's. Um, let's go ahead and give your website and, and how people can contact you regarding this program if they're interested. Great. Um, my website for the agency is kinshipcenteraltogether.org. Mm-hmm. Okay, spell that out, please. K-I-N-S-H-I-P, center, C-E-N-T-E-R, dot org. Great. And my, you would contact me by K, for Kim, mm-hmm. Felder, F as in Frank, E-L-D-E-R, at kinshipcenter.org. Okay, that sounds great. And when we come back, we're going to share more about foster care, FOSADOP programs, and other benefits. So don't touch that mouse. We'll be right back after this quick break. Have you thought about adopting a child but don't know how to begin? Lifetime has come to understand the needs of prospective adoptive families through more than 18 years of experience. Step by step, we're with you until your child is safe and sound in your arms. Each year, we help more than 120 adoptive families nationwide realize their dreams of parenthood through safe, successful adoptions. If this is your dream and you have the desire to build your family through adoption, visit LifetimeAdoption.com and fill out our free application online. Take this first step toward welcoming home your little one, the baby meant just for your family. Visit LifetimeAdoption.com today. Are you looking for help in funding your adoption? Lifetime Foundation has grants available in our African American and biracial enrichment programs. Currently, we have many birth mothers carrying African American and biracial babies. These women are choosing adoption and are seeking families with open arms and open hearts willing to love and nurture their infants and toddlers for a lifetime. If you are interested in applying for a grant, please visit LifetimeFoundation.org. Share this information with any friends, neighbors, and church family you know who would be interested in pursuing adoption. Please keep these children in your prayers. Visit LifetimeFoundation.org today. Welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. If you would like to participate in today's program, you can email Marty at info at letstalkadoption.com. Now once again, here's Marty. 
Welcome back to the show. Today we're speaking with Wendy's wonderful kids, adoptive family recruiter, Kim Felder, who's sharing with us her guidance experience with foster adoption and all the tips that can help us if we're interested in foster care, also just in raising um, children too. Kim, before we left on our break, um, we were talking a little bit about um, you know, what it takes um, to be a foster parent too. Let's, let's just share a little bit more about that. Um, people may be listening or saying, gosh, I don't know if I can do this. How do you determine when a family comes to you whether or not they can do this? Well, there's, you know, part of the process I'd say to families is first, the home study process usually is a process that works very well in helping families determine themselves if they're a candidate for a foster adopter if they want an infant adoption. But I usually start out by first asking them what's motivated them to come forward. You know, what are their needs? And if they really are you know, not sure where they belong. I, I usually ask, are you trying to create your family, you know, by adopting a child, or are you wanting to, you know, expand your family and help a child? Because really when you adopt a child from the foster care system, it is going to be helping that child and very child-focused mm-hmm. for a long time as opposed to parent-focused, which is, you know, that infant, you know, fills that parent's need, and, and that's a wonderful thing. And I always give parents the right to pick whatever fits right for them and where they're at. Because oftentimes my families who haven't parented yet may choose to adopt an infant the first time around and be involved with a birth mother and get, you know, that um, interaction before the birth and even be present at the birth and experience all that. And then come back to me a year later and say, you know, now we're ready to take an older child because we just love the experience and we really know that there's lots of kids out there that need us. You know, that's really true because, and also that's really a nice way to do because often if you adopt an older child and you go to an infant, that makes it really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people do get concerned with birth order. Do you find that to be any concern at all? Because here well, you have an infant and then you have an older child coming into the family. Well, and again, people ask me that all the time. And I would say, you know, there, there isn't in my life nor in my agency any hard rule. That is also what the home study process is for because it's a lot of self-examining. Mm-hmm. And a good social worker will help a family, you know, guide and decide what is the best fit for them. And you really have to know the child that's already in your home. Um, I always laugh and say my son Paul, who was my biological with my husband, our first adoption was when he was nine years old. And I knew that I could never adopt a child older than Paul because Paul was, the, you know, the oldest child, the you know, mm-hmm. the alpha. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And, and that was his personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't hard to bring in Claudia above the girls once Paul was an adult because the girls were fine with that. We were already, you know, a as my vet used to laugh, you know, we're a herd. <laughs> yeah. And and it's easy when you do have a large family right. to blend one in the middle. And, and, again, knowing those personalities and how they were established and, you know, the time that the kids have been in the home and everything is a really important piece. And that is also what the home study is about. Because a lot of people say, gosh, the home study is so intrusive and, you know, it's scary and what are they going to do? And I said, well, you know, use it as a tool. Mm-hmm. It should be the tool that helps you find the best placement for you as well as your social worker should be an advocate for you. And I think people have to be emotionally ready for that and they have to realize the benefit of the home study and the benefit of really being sensitive um, to their what they can handle 
um, sometimes stretching, but not to a point it's going to break or hurt the relationship, and also to make sure they've got a good foundation. Um, and I say that over and over again. You've got to be able to communicate with your mate. And um, we see people coming, and they just want a baby to fix so they can ignore their mate. Yeah. And yeah. that's sad. And so that's another whole program another day. But uh-huh. what other kind of questions do people ask that are looking into foster care? I mean, do you hear a lot of? Um. Other questions or fears or concerns, you know, they may have in entering the FOSADOP, you know. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of their fears and concerns again are, you know, how how impacted is this child? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and am I going to get to meet them first? And what if it doesn't work out? And and all those things are are very viable. And again, having a good relationship that you have built with your social worker and your agency that are supporting that, and knowing that you're not alone, and also to letting go of the preconceived notion. I think even families of biological children, the vision of the child you thought you were going to have before mm-hmm. it was born, and the, and the real child are usually kind of different. Yes, it, and you know that happens in a lot of things. It's for marriage too, and anything yeah. else. Um, you have to be flexible and realize that um, you know that that can happen. Absolutely. And and if you're if you are flexible in that too, do you find too that um, people are realistic when they come into the program then, and probably more so after they do the training, the thirty hours of training. That that is the piece. You know, I always say that you know because people always say to me, well, you know, love is enough. I said, love is a wonderful thing, and love is the piece that every parent starts with that makes them do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to right, help the right. child heal. Right. And so. Um, and also not be um, short-sighted, be long-sighted, you know, look mm-hmm. forward. You know, um, I, I always reflect to parents all the time, too, especially when you're looking at a 10- or 11-year-old. You know, celebrate the little successes because in reality you are undoing five, six, seven years of instability, you know, and uh, and abuse and neglect. And, you know, when you really put your chi- yourself in that child's place and you're really able to empathize with that older child and say, Wow, I mean, think about it. Think about it if you were eight or nine years old and you couldn't count on anyone and you couldn't even make sure, you couldn't mm-hmm. even tell your classmates that you were going to be in the same school again next year. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that, how many schools they've moved to. And I think people have to learn that empathy ahead of time. And some people do have that as a gift. It comes naturally and other people have to work on it. And it doesn't mean that you can't. If you don't have empathy or your spouse doesn't have it, that doesn't mean that they can't um, develop that and start working toward that. And it may be rough around the edges, but I think it helps. Do you find that um, people are taking advantage of, let's go back to the resources, because I know there's a lot of resources available, AAP. What are the resources available to adoptive parents, and are they taking advantage of these programs? We are always, as an agency, advocating for that. I think sometimes families um, do, especially once they they have a child in place and and the child starts to be have difficulties, I, I always really say to families, never hesitate to say, whoa, I need help. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. they circle the wagons and they don't want to let us know because they think they're letting us down. Mm-hmm. And I say to families right up front, we already know as an, as, as um, professionals in this field mm-hmm. that these children can be difficult. And just like anything else, they're going to try everything first to see if you're going to bail on them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they will act up in the honeymoon stage. And that, you know what? Kids do that. Um, they do that with babysitters too. By all children do it with grandparents and anything else. They're testing. That's just the human nature of children. That's it. And I think this, this is just a little bit more. So I think getting back into just parenting too. But they have that resource available where you can pick up the phone, like you said, your social worker is speed dialed into your phone, uh, in a sense. Um, that, you, that don't be afraid to ask for help. 
Absolutely, and, and ask for help even, too, in dealing sometimes, you know, a good social worker or a good therapist is your best resource because sometimes the schools are not always empathetic because they're looking at you because a lot of our kids are really good at doing the superficial relationships mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. and because that's how they survived mm-hmm. so they're acting all wonderful and great at school and then they come home and you know they're mm-hmm. you know really struggling with the whole homework thing and the teacher's looking at you going I don't know what your problem is they're just a wonderful child. oh I, they're great and I I know that from personal experience the kids can be great and they um, they're they're great manipulators at times too uh, and it's and you've got to be able to get to that point. And um, and we don't come they don't come with owner's manuals. So this is the closest thing. You probably get more parenting skills in going through a father's adopt than you do a bio child too. Well, and know that you're not alone. And and in, and in reality, you should not. I mean, again, because you did not create. I said I always help families by saying you didn't create the issues that started this, but mm-hmm. it's your job to help them now. And right. ha- our job is to help you help them now. So never hesitate to call us and ask. Those. You know, it's real interesting. In my book, um, the AdoptingOnline.com book I wrote, um, I have a section in there under foster care. And one of the stories I was um, writing about was a family that um, had adopted an older child. And I said, you need to be sure you access AP. And they said, oh, no, it's fine. We've got private insurance. Everything's going to be fine. Well, then a few years later, the daughter started having all kinds of issues. And their insurance wouldn't cover some of the material. And it was too late to get AP. And, of course, they come asking for it when it's too late because it's got to be done prior to, everything has got to be done prior to the finalization of the adoption. Isn't that correct? Yes, and actually a good agency, I mean, and, again, things have changed a little bit, and especially kids out of the foster care system. Mm -hmm. Even if I have a family that says, no, no, I don't want to take that, we will do what's called a deferred, Mm -hmm. which means that we do put things in place that they can come back with an assessment of why they need the funding now. Right, And we can revisit. Now, you know, every county, some counties are more generous than others. Some have better resources than others. But it can still be an option for them. Because I always tell families, too, many really good insurances or HMOs only allow so many therapeutic sessions a year. Right, right. And sometimes, again, during those difficult times of puberty or or whatever else, you may need to be visiting that therapist once a week. And or even twice a week in exactly. some situations. Mm-hmm. And so you run through that limited amount of time very quickly, and AAP can help you do that. And I would say, to, and I really talk families out of not taking it pretty often. I, I think that's great. And I think that comes back down to getting a really qualified adoption agency to work with you. Uh, when you're doing that. And I know that when we do adoptions, when when we get phone calls at the facilitation center, mm-hmm. we try to link up with an adoption agency that will go ahead and handle that paperwork. Now, we yes. can still do all the support and, they, and, and, and that way hand-holding, but you've got good um, an agency um, and then attorney, if they need to have an attorney in that particular area to terminate birth parent rights, but to take care of that because those issues come up later on and you want a licensed family counselor looking at that and you want to access all these benefits and people are starry-eyed at the very beginning. They don't think they'll ever need it. Well, that and also, too, sometimes I think they feel a little um, guilty. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm adopting this child. I want him as my own. I, I don't need that. You know, I, no one else. And I always say to families, but you didn't create their difficulties in the beginning part of their life. Mm-hmm. And really, in the, you know, and I even say to people all the time, too, because out there in the community, sometimes they'll say, well, this funding is a drain on the state. I said, oh, trust me, this is much cheaper than a child in foster care. There's a, that's a really good point because people say that all the time. I'm not going to take tax dollars. It's not fair. But if you look at the alternative, you're right. It's going to cost much more. Especially uh, because when you go even back to the fact that we already talked about, mm-hmm. that these children who do get adopted, even at 14 or 15 years old, 
mm-hmm. from going from the, of the liability of 60% of the children who will age out of the system will either be homeless or in the prison population, mm. to even being adopted at 14 or 15 years old, um, that that drops by half. Mm-hmm. That is an amazing thing because not only are you paying for them in foster care a whole lot more than AEP, but you're also paying then the prison population. Also. Right, on top of it also. Tell me, what are the average age of your parents coming to adopt? I mean, do you see parents in their late 40s and early 50s? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's okay then? Absolutely is okay. We do not have an age limit. Now, of course, the county workers who do make the decision about which families they are looking at for their children mm-hmm. do tend to look at children a little bit older. But, you know, I'm, I'm never ashamed to say I'm 49 years old. Mm-hmm. And I have said the good news about taking an older child is when I say get dressed and get in the car, they do it. Oh, <laughs> right. That's great. Mm-hmm. And there is, and I even talk to single parents, too, you know, because at first they usually come in, same thing, about, well, maybe I want a baby. And it's like, you know, that's great. But Look at how that's going to impact your life. Mm-hmm. Right. And they've been single for a long time. It's sometimes difficult. And uh, older kids can be wonderful for, for single parents looking in, at, at uh, building their families, too. What um, families are are needed today in the foster care um, to adopt foster children? Um, are there certain prerequisites that are qualifications that, that are needed? I know we've covered some of that. But anything that we haven't discussed that people really need to look at other than a big will to do that and to follow through with the home study and the parenting. But what else? I think that is the most important thing. I mean, it's always helpful, especially if you're looking at um, a child's school age and above. I said there always is a need for parents to come in and foster adopt pretty much children of any age. You know, they run from very small to all the way up to 18. But the need for families is really for those children um, from, you know, first grade up through um, late adolescence, you know, into 14 or 15 years old. There is Mm -hmm. a huge need for parents to come forward and adopt larger sibling groups, three and Mm -hmm. four kids in a family that we can keep them together. You know, I think that's just crucial that we keep the kids together and, and when there hasn't been severe abuse, you know, mm-hmm. between the siblings. Um, Absolutely. But, that's always a marker that we uh, really want to, you know, because sometimes I've had really great families that because of the abuse among the siblings, the siblings couldn't survive very well together, mm-hmm. but we were able to look at two different fa- parents mm-hmm. that still kept the kids connected through right. visits and um you know phone calls and letters and and getting together a couple times a year and they this has been a number of years later and the good news is is these kids were able to heal better mm-hmm. separated but you bring up a very good point we try everything we can to keep kids together but when that doesn't work this is what we need right and, and openness need- is important go ahead I also need families so much more for boys than girls. I don't know why it seems, but there's a lot and probably of boys, in this boys of color, African American, uh, or biracial or Hispanic children. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a large piece of that going on, and um, you know that that is just so important. And you know, the other thing I say to families all the time: the advantage too about looking at an older child. Not even, you know, when you're a little older. Let's face it: running after a toddler. I it's exhausting. It's not always easy. <laughs> it's, it's exhausting, boring. and the older we get, I'm in late forties now, and it, you're right. It just uh, you get exhausted, and, and they need that energy too. And you want to go to soccer game, but when you're just flat on your face, well, um, it's and, tough. And that's the good news, as I say, I'm a great cheerleader. I'm happy to sit in the bleachers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'll go to all those games. That's definitely something I love to do. I love those band concerts. You yeah. know, but I don't necessarily want to chase around a toddler. So that can be the advantage there. And the other piece we hadn't talked about that's such an advantage is that you can talk to them. I mean, it's hard when you have a pre-verbal, mm-hmm. you know, two or three-year-old, and and they are 
they don't have any words for their anger and their frustration mm-hmm. and why they've been moved again to another Great home. point. Where you can look at a child who's 6, 8, 10, 12 and say, gosh, you look really sad. What's going on? Or mm-hmm. what happened here? Or what are you thinking about? Or, or did, what does this remind you of? And mm-hmm. there's that conversation that can really happen. Mm-hmm. And, and feel comfortable in doing that, too, and learning that, too. You know, do you have, without sharing, you know, protecting identities, do you have any one child you're working with right now that you're seeking a family with? And I know this, this show is going to air a little bit later, but I, I, let's share if you have any particular ones that are on your heart right now, one or two children. I actually have two. I have um, two boys I'm working with right now, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll change their names a little bit for you. Um, one is Larry and one is Ricky. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Let's see. Ricky is 14 years old, and he is a great kid. He does well in school. He's very small for his age. He probably is more proportionally like looks about a Mm 10-year-old. They are looking at maybe some growth hormones for him, but this child is not on any medication. He um, really enjoys school, does well there, likes basketball and soccer, um, and has a very sad story. He was placed when he was five days old with a foster parent, um, because of some drug exposure issues at birth and was left at the hospital. Um, he then was, um, his his parent ended up dying. She was his legal guardian until just, you know, a year or two ago and oh. ended up dying from Alzheimer's. And mm. he is just has no one else, and I would love a family for him. So this has been a death. So amazing. This, is, this has been a death, in the, and, that, and that's something that people don't think of. And, mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, those are very... Um, those children really have had a pretty stable, if you could say. Exactly. Someone needs to help him with his grief and loss issues. And, of course, you know, that would be our role is to help advocate for a good therapist to help with those things. But it would be just so fabulous to find him a wonderful family. Um, I also have another wonderful boy who um, we're dealing with a little, you know, attention deficit, but very manageable. He, you know, he struggles a little bit with that focusing on homework, and I have one at home of my own that does that. Yes, right. We all, we all can have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's boys, teenage, you know, pre-teen Yeah, that's boys. right. Yeah. TV and the computer are much, much more fun. Yes, and, and he also has um, been in the system for a while but has worked so well. He's, he's stable in his placement um, and, and just needs somebody to really structure and help structure his life so that he can stay on task for homework and things like that. He doesn't have any real struggles in school except he gets distracted and likes to talk a little bit. Um, <laughs> but he also would love a family who did sports. And this one little boy is just adamant that all he wants, he really wants a mom and a dad. And I really do listen to the children I recruit for. And um, the other child um ricky is not as you know he could look at a single parent or um other issue you know other different parenting styles um but um um, larry really wants a mom and a dad and both of these kids would do well with other children in the home they've done well in the past with other kids in the home and they just really want somebody who's going to make a commitment to them but they are 12 and 14 um so those are two kids that are really touching my heart lately. Right. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, again, let's go ahead and give out your website and how people can contact you and maybe give some tips on what they action they can take, too, because I know people need home studies. But let's go ahead and give out that contact information again, Kim. Okay. My website for my agency is kinshipcenter.org, K-I-N-S-H-I-P-C-E-N-T-E-R.org. And you can contact me directly at K for Kim, Felder, F as in Frank, 
E-L-D-E-R, at the at sign, kinshipcenter.org. Okay, that's great. And anybody interested in that, and I'm sure um, that you're having other children all the time, once you get one place, do you have another then that comes in so that your caseload is, you know, about 15 kids, like you mentioned? Yes, 15 to 20 children. And I'm really focusing at this time on those single, more often boys than girls that are in that you know, 10 to 14, 15-year-old range because that is a great need. Mm -hmm. But also, too, if people come forward and want to know more about Foster Adopt, I don't want them to not contact us just because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I want them to um, contact because that's part of what Wendy's Wonderful Kids does is that the interest we're generating for these specific children will also help other children get adopted from the system. I totally agree, and I think what happens is they call about one and they hear about another, and I think the main thing is just don't be afraid to, you know, make a phone call or an email or go to the website and get some information because there are so many waiting children uh, in the U.S. right now, and I think it's really important that um, that we're not fearful of moving forward. And I think a lot of people do that before they know it, and they're 60 years old and they have no children. Absolutely. And they've wasted their whole life. And I meet people that have such wonderful experiences that they can share with people. I mean, even eavesdropping, uh, walking through San Francisco the other day with our kids, and uh, they had gone on to some tour, and I sat there listening to a gentleman talk to another gal about all the experiences he was having in life. And this this little girl must have been like um, a, you know, a foreign exchange student. It was fascinating. I thought, here's this man with all this knowledge. What a wonderful teacher he could be to so many people. Absolutely. And so I think more and more we need to, to, to remember that we all have something to give. And I really believe in the law of reciprocity, and I think mm-hmm. we give <laughs> comes back to us. And I think that um, we're here for a purpose, and I think that these children are um, going to be our future, and that we need to, um, while we're here, we need to be able to share with them and, and give back to them, too. Um, Kim, just a few more questions before we, we close, too. Um, when the, uh, how often do you get older groups, sibling groups? Of, we talked about three to five kids. How often does that happen? Um, tell us a little bit about that. I'm looking for families for those those mm-hmm. civilian groups all the time, not mm-hmm. only from L.A. County, but I know my workers are looking for families for those groups from all the other counties as well. It is always a difficult piece for families to come forward, of course, for three or four or even more children because of the bedroom space issues. And, and right. let's face it, I always say the laundry and the grocery shopping is overwhelming. At times. Yeah, <laughs> I love all that. I, when I was a foster I mom, I did um, respite work too. Uh-huh. And um, I took care of um, 10 and 12 kids in a group home. And I'll tell you what, I loved um, just being organized and making huge meals and doing 10 loads of laundry a day. That sounds really silly, but I'll tell you, I, I thrived on it. Well, I always laugh. I said, uh, you know, I will never know how to cook for a small group. <laughs> right, you don't. And I came from a large family, so it was natural. And you know, spending time with each child and document, I would just it was my I was in my element um, because it was really giving back to the kids. And they and you know, they had challenges, and you had to watch your back, and yeah. they would play jokes on you and things like that. But um, but it, overall, it's really exciting too. Well, and I always tell families too. You know, I don't ever have to bring in an outside play friend. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they always have someone to do mm-hmm. something with internally. And mm-hmm. when we go on vacations, it's, I never take anybody else because I'm taking all of them. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And there's so many resources now for large families. Uh-huh. And um, I think that there's a, with a, with a parents that start out with a really good attitude. I think it really helps too. Kim, any last tips you'd like to share with anybody before we close um, the program? Well, I think it is important if they do have an interest at all, even if they're not sure that I would serve their community for our own agency, um, our role is also to, um, you know, um, refer them. 
Right. So an agency in their own community that could do that home study, that could start them down the path of adoption. And again, even if they are, because I know this is a national show, even if they are in other parts of the country, there is WWK projects, um, Wendy's Wonderful Kids projects going on throughout the state, and they're even expecting to expand that more. So mm-hmm. I would be able to even contact a recruiter in their community or close to their community that could also refer an agency for them to work with. So an advocate, that, you can be an advocate for them Absolutely. Too. So I don't want them to feel like, well, you know, I don't live in California or I don't live in Southern California. Perfect. You know, nor, you know, where am I and how can I do this? And, and sometimes too, it's just giving them out information and starting to explore because it takes families usually a couple of years before they come forward and that's perfectly okay with me. I want them to be ready, but Starting to do that research, if your heart is open to this process at all, starting to look into it, to learn about it, and it's not as difficult as everyone thinks. I I always feel that that's one of the biggest um, misnomers out there is that adoption is so difficult. It does have its... um, responsibilities and it so does, does parenting have, a bio child exactly you know? <laughs> and there are of course you know the 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 things you must go through to get ready in the home study and the education piece mm-hmm. and those kinds of things are really help families and if families look at it as helping them prepare right. instead of keeping them out it really goes much smoother and they really get that well i think that um you have just given us so much information, and I really appreciate, Kim, you being on the show today, and um, thank you so very much. And I hope that people are interested. Please contact um, the Wendy's Wonderful Kids program and through the Kinship Center. Um, and uh, thank you so much, and we'll be in touch with you. And if we can send anybody over your way, we definitely will. Thank you, Kim. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Now let's move on to our adoption mailbag this week. Um, Kim, what do you have for us? Well, let's see. The first question we have is from Marianne in California who asks, My husband and I are trying to decide whether or not we want to match with a young woman in our church. We are not sure how we feel about having our child's birth mother so close by. We're fine with sharing letters and photos, but we never expected to find a birth mother so close to us right in our church. Do you have any advice for us? Well, Marianne, you know, it's hard. It depends on the size of your church and also depends on um, how much contact, and as you said, letters and photographs, they might be difficult for you. Um, people do move, but realize that if she's in your church, um, that might be one of the reasons that she is interested in matching with you is because she wants more contact. I would um, address that with her, and I would make sure you're working with some great adoption professionals that can help facilitate the adoption, and that can be a facilitator, your agency, social worker, or an attorney um, that you feel has compassion and can help the birth mother. She is going to need to speak to a counselor help sort out her, her um, concerns and your concerns, too. But it can work very nicely, but you have to realize that she may stay in the church um, and it may be awkward um, also for a while. So if you have more than one service, sometimes people will have their birth mother goes to one service, they adjust their schedule to go to another service. So I would say definitely look into it. Communication is going to be the key with your birth mom in this one, too. Um, yes, and one more. I think we have time for one more today, okay. Kim. And, and our other question is from Mark in Ohio, who asks, I just found out my ex-girlfriend is pregnant and she wants to have the baby be adopted. What are my rights? Um, Mark, it's important you find an attorney in your area, and I would say um, if you're speaking to your ex-girlfriend, that you speak with her and find out what um, you know what she is looking for in a family. And don't 
blank out adoption as an option at this point. Uh, look at it because many times you can have um, contact, ongoing contact, and um, realize that if you do opt to go ahead and help parent this child, you are going to have child support for 18 years. And can you do that? Is your life where you can spend time being a really good father to this, this little this baby? Um, that's important. That's not just you're not a sperm donor. You are going to be a dad, and you need to focus on what a child needs and be willing to put your life on hold for this child. Um, if you're willing to do that, um, I think it's really important that you go forth and you can speak to the, your ex-girlfriend and maybe an attorney and work through it that way. But remember, this is a lifetime commitment to this child, and if you feel that you're not ready for that, um, adoption is a great option for um, someone that is not ready at this point in their life um, to be a parent and still with open adoption and semi-open adoption can remain in uh, contact with them too. I hope that helps you, Mark. Uh, well, that's it for this week's mailbag. Thank you, Kim. I appreciate your assistance. Oh, you're welcome, Marty. Our program and guest information are listed on our site at letstalkadoption.com. And remember to sign up for our free newsletter and our Let's Talk Adoption reminder email. You can visit our site for information on how to purchase CDs of previous shows or listen to the archive programs. Thank you for joining us during this last hour. I hope you found the show to be informative and helpful. Until next week, this is Marty Caldwell of Let's Talk Adoption. God bless you. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week.